This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. You know, as we come into this weekend, there is a great deal of lament and difficulty because we have lost people. Memorial Day is a time when we remember our fallen dead, mostly in our nation's conflicts, but also in our lives as well. And we hear the long litany of our nation's wars. And we see wars and rumors of wars going on even today. And often the question is asked, where is God? Many times the question is asked in a hospital room, where is God? In a living room, when somebody is struggling, where is God? In the parlor of a funeral home, where is God? And I'm sure many times in Arlington Cemetery and other cemeteries across the nation, somebody with a choked voice and tears in their eyes asks, where is God? We've been talking about God the last several weeks. We've called this series God 101. Because as Thomas Aquinas said, if you err in the beginning of something, it'll only make the later plan even more difficult. And more often than not, we struggle with our understanding of life and our issues with life. And partly it's because we don't really have a good, solid understanding of who God is. We've talked about His majesty. We've talked about His character. And so today we're going to talk about the fact that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. What does that mean? Well, I found a great sort of a concise definition on gotquestions.org. I recommend that site. If you have Bible questions, God-related questions, questions about the doctrines or tenets of Christianity, go there, gotquestions.org. Outstanding resource. And I found this wonderful definition of God's sovereignty. It says, The sovereignty of God refers to the fact that God is is in complete control of the universe. It goes on to say, A belief in God's sovereignty is distinct from fatalism, which denies human free will. But humans are able to make genuine choices that that will have real consequences. God does not directly cause everything to happen, yet... He does allow all that happens to happen. And ultimately, God's will is going to be accomplished. God is sovereign and He will do His will. He works within our free will. He works within the universe. He works within circumstances and situations. He makes things happen and He allows to happen. As we've said before, that is His perfect will and His permissive will. There are things He does make happen. You read the record of them in Scripture. But there are also things God allows to happen. And you live that out. You and I do. And the reality is this. Nothing happens in your life and in my life. Or the life of anybody, believer or unbeliever. Whether it is good or bad, it will not happen 
before it passes through the approving hand of God first. God is sovereign. He rules, He reigns. God is not up in heaven looking at the earth and saying, Oh my goodness, what just happened? God is never surprised. And I had one clever professor at school look at us one time and say, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? We talked about last week how God is omniscient. God knows everything. He knows everything. And as I said last week, He has already lived your life with you from birth until death. Wait a minute, Mike, I'm not dead yet. No, you're not. But God is not bound by time. God is not bound by space. And understand this, everything that goes on, everything that happens is either by the perfect will of God or it is allowed through the permissive will of God that God might accomplish what He wills for His glory. So we're going to look at that this morning. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45. And in Isaiah chapter 45, Isaiah is prophesying to the nation of Israel, prophesying about their 70-year captivity, the Babylonian conquering situation, because they had lived in idolatry and in sin against God. And God told them all the way back in Deuteronomy, if you'll follow me, I will bless you. If you turn your backs on me, I will curse you and I will scatter you. And that's exactly what he did. Yet God is a God of grace as well. And the nation of Israel called out to him in captivity. They they yearned for him again. They wanted to go back to their land again. And so God, after 70 years, through the agency of a a secular, atheistic, non-believing ruler, King Cyrus, God was able to bring them back into their land after Cyrus had defeated the Babylonians. Cyrus was not exactly a poster child for church membership. Cyrus was an evil and wicked man. And when he did dabble in religion, it was paganistic and demonic. Yet God used this man to accomplish his purposes. Because that's how God works. If you ever want to impress your friends with a little Bible trivia, ask them, what book in the Bible does not mention God? Oh, Brother Mike, the whole Bible's about God. Yes, it is, but one Bible book never mentions the word God or never mentions God. And that is the Bible book of Esther. Yet if you read that book carefully, you will see God's hand in the whole circumstance. Because God is moving. God is changing The Bible says elsewhere that God raises up kings and He puts them down. He turns their hearts as He does a mighty river. God is sovereign. And in Isaiah, He prophesies about Cyrus being used as His agent. Even though Cyrus didn't know God. Didn't know that God was going to use him in this fashion. Cyrus learned that nothing is accidental, that God works in the lives of humanity. So we're going to look at the God as the sovereign God this morning. So let's have a word of prayer as we seek God's face before we open his word. 
Our Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the privilege of being here this morning. Father, we thank you that we can worship unmolested, that, Father, we can worship uninterrupted, that, Lord, we don't have to hide in a warehouse or underground, but that, Father, we can worship openly and freely, and thank you for a nation that allows us to do that. America was not an accident. Lord, we are by no means a perfect nation. We struggle with issues and have. And Father, America is waiting on the church to allow its light to burn brighter. Help us to do that, but help us through it all to remember that you are God. You are King of kings, Lord of lords. You are sovereign. And help us to yield to you this morning. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the book of Isaiah... He's prophesying about King Cyrus, the Persian, and he's communicating through Isaiah his usage of him as an agent to restore his people back to their land. It's amazing what God will use and what God can use, who God can use and who God won't use. God's sovereignty in, the, in chapter 45, beginning in verse 5, we're going to see God declaring his sovereignty. Now, you can read through Scripture and see the sovereign hand of God, or you can see God's sovereignty spoken of outright. But I chose this because it's interesting in how it's laid out. And I'm using the, uh, I'm not doing the New King James Version this morning. I'm preaching from the ESV because it actually does a better job in communicating the words and translating the words here. And understand this, when it comes to Bible translations, I'm a junkyard dog. I'm not going to give you and preach to you something that I don't think is good. I will not use a Bible paraphrase, by the way, but I'm going to do this. This is a great translation. And I'm going to start in verse 5, and it says this, I am the Lord. The word Lord is in all capitals. It is the Hebrew word Yahweh. That is God's name, Yahweh. We've, we've transliterated into English Jehovah, but in the Hebrew, it's just four letters, Yahweh. And it means the self-sufficient one. In other words, God doesn't need anything or anyone. He never had a beginning and he will not have an ending. He says, I am the Lord Yahweh and there is no other. Beside me, there is no God. He says, I have equipped you. And if you read back earlier, he's speaking to Cyrus. He said, I have equipped you. And look at this, look at this phrase, though you do not know me. I have already equipped you, though you do not know me. In God's sovereign declaration, we see, first of all, specifically that God is sovereign over the happenings of individuals. God reigns over the happenings of individuals. And God will use whom He will use, and God will not use whom He will not use at His own discretion. God raises up kings, God puts them down. God will use you and God will not use you in certain things based on His will. And oftentimes in God's permissive will, He'll let a king step down. He'll let someone walk away. One day we'll do a message on the fatherhood of God. How He parents His creation and His children specifically. There are times when God lets the little buzzards fall, in other words. There are times when God allows us to struggle with our decisions and choices. There are times when God allows things to happen in our lives because God is either trying to get our attention, God is either trying to change us, 
to teach us, to mold us, to make us. I often have people come to me who are struggling saying, God, Pastor, why is this happening? Have I committed some sin? We think the only time God puts bad stuff in our lives is because we sin. I, I don't know if you've sinned or not. It may be that. It may be that. It may be because God is trying to help you learn something. It may be God is using you to teach somebody else something. I remember when I was diagnosed with cancer, I, I was asking God, why? And then somebody very love, loving and close to me said, God may be taking you through this so that was you, you as a pastor, when someone else deals with this now, you're better equipped to help them. I don't know why God does things. He doesn't tell me most of the time. But God deals with individuals in His way according to His will. He either makes things happen or He allows things happen. Even in our decisions, He allows us to make bad decisions. He allows us to make bad choices. Oh, there are times when He'll help us and stop us and get our attention. But there are also times when God looks at us and says, well... She has to learn something. He has to learn this. And sometimes God lets us learn things the hard way. And there are other times when it seems like we're doing everything we can to honor Him and please Him, and yet still we struggle. And the age-old question comes up, if God is sovereign and God is all-powerful and God is good, why is there evil? Why, why did you get up on, in church and lead a, read a litany of wars this morning? Why didn't God stop those wars? Why didn't he? Why did God allow that to happen? Does that mean there is no God? No, of course not. Of course there's a God. God has his reasons. It's amazing though, people say, well, well God should stop those people. God should put those people down if, and, and get rid of this evil. You know, when he did that in the Old Testament, when God dealt with nations and, and generations and, and basically took them out of this life, then the skeptic will turn around and say, well, God is evil, cruel, and immoral. Can't make anybody happy. God is going to do what God does, and God does it through individuals. Listen to me very carefully. God wants to do things in your life for His glory. God wants to use you to impact this world for eternity. And you don't have to be educated in a seminary. You don't have to be altogether talented. You don't have to be a specimen of, of athletic prowess, look at me. You don't even have to be pretty, okay? But God wants to use you. It doesn't matter if you're young or if you're very old. God wants to use you because He's sovereign. He, he works and chooses and acts within the lives of individuals. Not only that, but God also is sovereign over what is happening or the happenings of the world. This is a general understanding. Look what he says as we go on in verse 6. He says that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. And we'll talk about why God does this in a minute. But look what he says in verse 6 at the end. He says, the second time, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. There is no other. I am God. There is no other God. 
Look at verse 7. From, the, from light, I rather I form light and create darkness. We just sang in this wonderful song we just sang that he's God in the light and he's God in the dark. When everything's light and bright in our life, God is still there and still working. But listen, when everything's dark and difficult in our life, God is still there and God listens and he hears us. He says, I form light and I create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all of these things. We had Christmas just six months ago. And we always talk about the story, wonderful story from Luke. How God uprooted Joseph and his pregnant wife Mary. And the reason why he moved them is they had to be in Bethlehem to give birth to Jesus because that's where he was prophesied in the book of Zechariah that he would be there he would be born. And in order to accomplish this, God had the Roman emperor to declare a census and the entire Roman world was put in a grand swirl to move two people just a few miles. God does these things. God allows natural disasters. God sometimes even creates calamity for his purpose. You say, well, is God moral? God is the seat of morality. As the creator of everything you see and feel and hear and taste and smell, God is the creator. He owns it all. As such, God can do anything he wants with creation. That includes people. He is God. And so we need to trust him in that. So yes, he is right here saying, look, I am God. There is no other. I will take people that don't even realize I'm in their lives working and I will use them for my purposes. I will move them for my aims. I will direct them for my glory. He said, I will bring light. I will allow darkness. I will bring calamity. I will allow wellness. I will do whatever I need to do because God has a plan. God has a purpose in it. And that's what we see in the next section. So here God has declared his sovereignty. And now he's going to declare his plan. Why does he do all of this? Well, look at verse 8. It says, Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. God's plan is a grand plan of redemption. God, when He created the universe and He created the planet Earth and when He created humanity, when He created Adam and Eve, God knew that Adam and Eve would eat of the fruit that was forbidden. God knew that they would rebel against Him and God knew that that would plunge humanity into sin. Why did God allow that? And this is where human free choice and will come in. God created a people that would love him and that he wanted to fellowship with. God created a people that would honor him. But they had to make that choice. And so God put Adam and Eve in a splendid garden with all sorts of, of wondrous things to eat. Fruits and vegetables. But he said, there's one tree you can't eat of. He gave them one limitation. And they chose against him. 
God knew they would do that. Why didn't God just create a perfect world where everybody just loved him? Because that would not be real love. That would not be a choice. I have one of those Amazon smart speakers in my office. Because I have to say, what time is it? Because I'm too lazy to do this. <laughs> or I listen to the radio on it. Or I listen to different things on it. Or I ask her questions. I can go and program that thing that when I walk in my office every morning, it would say, I love you, Mike. Good morning. My, you look good. <laughs> Pat was our secretary for many years. I couldn't get her to say that. <laughs> She's tough. But I could get that little computer thing, that little speaker to say that. But you and I know that wouldn't be real. It wouldn't be really true either. But it wouldn't be real. God didn't want a bunch of autonomous, autonomous I can't talk, robots <laughs> to just bark back what he's programmed into them. God wanted, God wanted people to choose to love him, so he gave them a choice. And in the words of Dr. Norman Geisler, he didn't create a perfect world, he created a perfect way. A perfect way for humanity, yes, fallen, to be redeemed and choose him again. So God's sovereign plan was that righteousness would rain down. And as you read through Scripture, you see confusion and calamity and conundrum. But you see the Word of God meeting it and facing it. You see the grace of God reaching out to it. Constantly in the Old Testament, you see His people rebelling against Him and choosing against Him and God having to deal with them and judge them. But also you see God's hand of grace reach out to them. Reaching out to them because He loves them. Righteousness, God's plan is for it to rain down. When Jesus left the splendors of heaven and took on flesh, God in the flesh walked the earth. God Himself visited His creation allowed himself to be taken, brutalized, and, and, and murdered on the cross. He was buried three days, but rose again from the dead. And after his rising, he sent the Spirit of God to indwell in believers. God rained righteousness down. And one day, Jesus is coming back. And the world will be ruled in righteousness. God's sovereign plan is that righteousness would rain down and salvation would spring up. And everything that God does in this world is for that purpose, for that plan. So that His written Word, His living Word might be proclaimed so that people might come to know Christ. If you're here today and you know Jesus as Savior, you have fulfilled that righteous plan. And here you are because of the sovereignty of Almighty God. It is not an accident that you're here this morning. You're here because God wanted you to be here. Because listen, if God wants you to do something, if God wants you to be somewhere, you're going to do it or you're going to be there. Now, sometimes God will let us say no. Sometimes God will let us run because God wants to teach either us or those watching us something. A.K.A. the book of Jonah. God said, Jonah, I want you to be a prophet in Nineveh. And Jonah said, uh-uh. And Jonah took off. But we saw last week, you can run from God, but you can't hide. God wanted Joseph to be, uh, Jonah rather, to be a prophet to Nineveh. You know what Jonah did at the end of the book? He prophesied to Nineveh. If God wants you to do something, you're going to do it. If God wants you to be something, you're going to be that person. If God wants you somewhere, you're going to be there. 
It's easier to just give up and give in and let God do his thing than fight against him. And the reason why God does these things is because somebody needs to get saved somewhere. God allows us to go through things for whatever purposes. And we may not know them this side of heaven. I remember sitting in a hospital waiting room and I'm going in to see a dear brother in Christ suffering and struggling. Unbelievable illness. And I remember him telling me, Mike, I'm okay. Because I've realized what God is doing. I thought, what? He said, God is allowing me to be a missionary in pain. And there may be somebody who come to know Christ through what I've been through. What a wonderful attitude. And somebody, many people did get saved because of him. Sometimes God takes us through hard, difficult things. And we're broken and we weep and we cry. He's brought this nation through horrendous wars. And he's allowing junk to go on now. God sees it. God knows. But for his purposes, he's allowing it. Why? I don't know. I don't know. That's the hardest statement to make as a pastor. When you go sit by somebody's bedside or you hold their hand while they're weeping. Pastor, why? I like to have the answers. And there are times I just don't. But I know the answer. God's sovereign plan is to rain down righteousness so that salvation might spring up. That is what God is doing. That's the ultimate purpose. And that's the ultimate story between Genesis and Revelation. So God declares his sovereignty. There is no God but me. I'm it. I am sovereign. I utilize people for my purposes even when they don't know it. I bring difficulty. I bring triumph. I have my purposes. My purposes is that, is that I might save the, those who need saving, that salvation might spring up after righteousness has rained down. But God gives us a warning in all of this too. God's given us a warning. He's given us here one in Scripture. Notice what he says as we continue in verse 9. He uses this word twice, woe. And he doesn't want somebody's horse to stop, okay? This woe means calamity, anxiety. At times it could even mean impending judgment. He says, woe to him who strives with him who formed him. Now here's the thing. It's okay to ask God questions. If you want to know, go to the source. It's okay to question God in that way. There's a whole book on that, the book of Habakkuk. It's okay to ask God questions. It's okay to seek out the truth. However, it is not okay to criticize God's plan in that kind of manner. Look what he says. He says, woe to him who strives with him, fights with God. Here's the Reader's Digest version, by the way. If you fight with God, you're going to lose. Why go through all the struggle and the heartache? Ask Jonah about it. Ask Joseph, who wrestled with God. And came away with a bum hip. If you wrestle with God, you're going to lose. Woe to him who strives with him, who formed him. And look, he gives a, an illustration. A pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? 
You know, isn't it interesting? Here again, we kind of have a little thing. God refers to us as pots among pots. And quite frankly, that is more literally true than you realize. We are formed out of the dust of the earth. If you take out all the moisture of our bodies, we are nothing more than a pile of chemicals worth about, oh, around three bucks now. We are formed out of the dust of the earth. As a matter of fact, the, 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 the clay in the Middle East has many of the similar minerals and properties that the human body has in it. Science, again, is proven by Scripture. And in reality, in comparison to God, we're just clay pots among other clay pots. So therefore, it's okay to have a pot belly. No, not really. I just <laughs> threw that in. See, the pastor told me I could, honey. Give me a Twinkie. Okay, no. No, no, no. But he says, does the clay say to him who formed him, what are you doing? Hey, wait a minute. Get your hands off of me. This is not what I want to be. Or does he say this? Or, or work, uh, you know, does, this, does it say this? Your work has no handles. In other words, does the pot that the potter is making all of a sudden say, hey, where are my handles? You didn't put handles on me. Come on. But how often do we do that, folks? We, we charge God. We challenge God. And we say, God, you're not doing me right. God, you didn't make me this way. God, you didn't give me that. God, it's not fair. Oh, we hear that all the time. And more and more we're hearing it instead of on the playground with four-year-olds, we're hearing it in the, in the culture from 40-year-olds. God, you're just not fair. And you know what? Sometimes from our perspective, it doesn't seem like things are fair. And under the sun, apart from God, life is never going to be fair. But we have to understand God is sovereign. And we just saw God has a plan. And he's doing everything and allowing everything for that plan. My own testimony, again, I was born blind as a, as a baby. I was blind. My parents told, were told by the doctor I would never see. And then when I came along about four or five years old, I was able to see, but I wasn't able to see well. And as I was coming up, they told my parents he'll never drive a car. Eye doctors. I had a glory to God, Holy Ghost fit when I got my driver's license. I drove to my eye doctor's office. The man that said that pulled up at his plate glass window and I honked the horn and smiled and waved. <laughs> And drove away. And I could very well get mad at God and say, God, why did you make that? Because I still have issues with my vision. It's not fair, God. I was never good at sports because I wasn't, I couldn't do it. Never good at vision, never had good vision. But I had somebody say when I first became a Christian, I wonder what your life would have been like if you had perfect vision. I wonder if you would have cared about God at all. Maybe you would have gotten caught up in sports. Maybe you would have gotten caught up in something else and God would have been pushed aside. So there are times when I have to thank God for my problem. Instead of saying, God, why don't I have handles? Why did you make me this way? God is sovereign and he knew what he was doing. So we need to be careful clay questioning the potter. That sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? If your clay pots are talking to you, you need to go see a counselor. <laughs> but God brings it home to a real level. 
Because ideally, that's what we are. We're clay pots in, God, in comparison to God. It's amazing that he loves us, isn't it? He goes on to say in verse 10, Woe to him, again, woe, judgment. Woe to him who says to a father, What are you begetting? Or to a woman, what, With what, rather, are you in labor? You ever ask the question, Why was I born? Now again, there's nothing wrong with asking God's que- God questions. And there's nothing wrong with going to God and saying, God, I don't understand this. There's, I don't know why you made me this way. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why they're hurting. Why is this going on? It's another thing to spit in his face disrespectfully and turn around. And that's what he's talking about. God, you're not going to do it my way. So I'm not going to pay any attention to you anymore. I'm done. And oftentimes we say, why was I born? And maybe you were raised in a difficult situation. Maybe you were born with a birth defect. Maybe you were born in this world and you thought, I wish my parents would never have conceived me. But here's the reality. You're here. I am here. I came into this world the way I came into this world. So did you. And the reason why is because God wanted it that way. Again, I speculate if I had 20-20 vision when I was young, I might, I don't know. But rather than shake my fist at God, I accept that as God's will. Yes, I wear glasses to correct my, my vision. I don't think God has a problem with us trying to do the best we can with what he's given us. But instead of quitting, instead of giving up, instead of blaming God and walking away from him, Say, God, you put me in this place with what I have or with what I don't have. I'm struggling with this issue in life. I'm losing this. I'm gaining this. This is happening. We roll with it. And we praise God for another day to breathe and to give him glory. God uses things in our lives to mold us, to shape us, but ultimately uses them to bring about his sovereign plan. The raining down of salvation and the raising up of righteousness and raising up of salvation. So God is giving a warning. Woe, judgment to you. If you question the potter or if you question the parents, you can sit around in your life and, and fret about your problems. You can sit around and blame your parents. You can sit around and blame everybody else. We're living in a culture today that's making everybody a victim because of the gender they are, because of the skin color they are, because of the financial position they're in. At the end of the day, we're all victims of sin and our own selfishness. The key is not to live in victimhood, not to sit around and blame your parents, blame God, blame everybody else. Rise up! And with whatever you have and whoever you are and what is going on, serve God and help create a situation in your life that brings about His plan. Participate in His plan. Quit sitting around and feeling sorry for yourself. Quit waiting for someone else to come make your life something better. That's up to you and God. And God's got a purpose for you. And God wants to do things with you. That's why you're here. 
Warts and all, struggles and all, losses and all, gains and all. Because at the end of the day, it's not about you and me, it's about Him. So God warns us, listen, don't sit around and blame other people. Don't sit around and question and blame God. Don't sit around, woe is me, feeling sorry for yourself. Take whatever you have and whoever you are, whether the society likes it, whether the culture thinks it's pretty or not, and just get up and go. Because I tell you, some of the most tremendous men and women of God I ever met would not get three likes on Facebook. But one day we're going to see them being honored by God. It's amazing. I want to be like that. Arthur Pink said this as we finish. He said, nothing in all the vast universe can come to pass otherwise than God has eternally purposed. Nothing. Did you hear that? Here's a foundation of faith. If you don't get this understood, if you don't understand the sovereignty of God mingled with the love of God and the plan of God, Yes, there are things that are hard to understand. Yes, there are things that are heartbreaking. I know that. I've been there. But nothing happens unless God allows it. And that's a foundation of faith. He goes on to say, here is a resting place for the intellect. Here is an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast. It is not blind fate, unbridled evil, men. Uh, or, or, or devil, but the Lord Almighty who is ruling the world. We got all bent out of shape over the presidential election. Oh my goodness, what's going to happen? God's in control. Yes, God works within our choices. Yes, God works within what we do. And we sometimes suffer because of our choices. But at the end of the day, God is supreme. It's not a man. It's not a devil who's going to do anything. It's God who rules the world. It goes on to say, ruling it according to his own good pleasure and for his own eternal glory. At the end of the day, that's what it is. So I'm going to leave you with something from Dr. A.R.C. Sproul. Phenomenal man of God who passed away uh, just a couple of years ago. Scholar, Bible teacher, he said this. He said, most Christians salute the sovereignty of God. Oh, yes, he is Lord. Oh, yes, he's Lord of my own. But believe in the sovereignty of man. Oh, we all talk a good game. I love the Lord. I believe God is sovereign. Amen. And then we'll go about and do our own thing and not give one flip to it. And we'll struggle and we'll suffer and will strive even harder. Hey, life is tough enough. I want to know that there is a supreme, sovereign God behind the scenes who will one day bring it all together for His good. God is sovereign. God rules. God reigns. He's declared it. He's shared His plan, and He's given a warning. And this is the foundation of our faith as far as God is concerned. Do we understand God that way? God knew that humanity would fall. God knew that humanity would need a Savior. That's why He sent Jesus. 
to die on the cross, to take the blame for our sins. He was buried and three days later, he rose again from the dead. And God has brought you here this morning because he wanted you to hear this message. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior, trust him this morning. If you do know Jesus as Savior, have you really surrendered yourself to the sovereignty of Almighty God? Have you said, God, you are king. You are, you are the ruler of the universe. Nothing happens in my life, good or bad, unless you allow it. So rather than fight you, Lord, I want to live for you. Rather than strive with you, God, I want to stride with you. I'm going to yield my life once and for all to your will, to your lordship, to your sovereignty. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.